Thanks for joining us at Warehouse Church. We would love for you to stay connected, and a great way for you to do that is to simply subscribe to this podcast. You can also stay connected throughout the week by checking out our website, warehousechurch.com, or by visiting our Facebook or Instagram pages. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. Good to see you this morning in the house. How many of you are glad you're in church today? Say amen, right? How many love this weather right now? Nice and cool. Come on with that. Morning. Hey, we want to be praying for some families this morning. And I'm saying that to kind of encourage you to go on to our Warehouse Church uh, prayer page. It's on Facebook. If you go on to our Warehouse Church uh, Facebook page or if you contact any of our staff through that, uh, you have to be a member of that page to be on it because we don't want to put people's personal business out there. But you can uh, subscribe to that today. It's pretty easy. Just go on Warehouse Church uh, Facebook and then you can learn about how to do that. But uh, we have some folks we want to pray for this morning. David Foster, one of our leaders in our church, and his wife, they had a uh, grandchild this morning, and we've been praying for them. Uh, His daughter, Kate, has kind of been a high-risk pregnancy, so we're really thankful for that good news. Uh, Dave Roberts is with us this morning, is having hip surgery next week, if I'm not mistaken, or in two weeks? Two weeks. And we want to be praying for him with that. My dad's also uh, in a uh, nursing home in uh, Houston in the woodlands, and he has 21 people in his nursing home that have COVID and five workers, and he's supposed to have hip surgery tomorrow. And I say all that to say this, every one of us this morning came in this room with a burden. All of us had people we're praying for, family members, neighbors, work, personal stuff, and it is a great, not only should we all be taking our own petitions to the Lord, but we ought to be praying for one another. Uh, So make sure you be a part of that Warehouse Church prayer page, and I know that you'll be encouraged uh, in praying for uh, other families in our church. Hey, I want to invite your attention to 1 John chapter 3, and we're also going to look in the book of Genesis this morning. And what I want to talk to you about today, um, the, the title of my talk is this, Relationship Extremes. Relationship Extremes. We're going to read in 1 John chapter 3 the farthest points of extremes when it comes to personal relationships we have with people. I'll start off by reading just a couple verses out of 1 John. It says in chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. So whoever you're sitting next to, if if you're sitting with somebody in your living room or you're watching online, somebody near you, uncomfortably as it may be, just tell them I love you. Just look at them and say, I love you out over here in this section, Mish, okay? Hands, please, okay? We're supposed to love one another. We've been commanded to love one another, right? And then, right, it's, you know, it's a, it's a feel-good thing. This is your commandment. Love one another. And then it says this, extreme, you ready? Don't be like Cain. Okay, that's the, uh, the whole end of the spectrum. And John says, don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his own brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. I, I want to read for you that, that story this morning about Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Some of you probably know the story already. But in Genesis chapter 4, it says, uh, Adam made love to his wife Eve. Everybody say amen to that. It's in the Bible, so I guess we should be happy about that. They had a good marriage relationship. 
And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. That's pretty significant because God's kind of telling us now he didn't, he created Adam and Eve out of the dust of the ground. He told them to procreate and, and uh, have lots and lots of babies. So they, they did what they were supposed to do, basically, right? Um, with the help of the Lord, Eve said this, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. So Cain was the oldest brother. Abel was number two. Abel kept flocks. Cain worked the soil. Doesn't say anything bad about that. They were both doing what they were called to do, equipped to do, told to do by their dad. Both very, very important jobs. In the course of time, Cain brought forth some of his fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought forth an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look on favor. So Cain was very angry, his face was downcast. I find it interesting here because the Bible doesn't say that God told specifically Cain and Abel to both sacrifice uh, animals. Now, we know that he said that in, in Genesis chapter 3 that uh, they had to sacrifice an animal. God actually sacrificed an animal to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. The Bible teaches us that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So it was very significant in God's economics that blood was shed to have sin forgiven. But Cain was just giving an offering. So it doesn't say off the bat that he was disobedient in what he was doing, but what it is saying there, maybe he was not taught properly. Maybe his dad didn't say to him, hey, Cain, if you have some sin, what you're going to need to do to get your sin forgiven is maybe trade some of that you know, fruits and veggies and stuff to your brother, get a fatted cow, sacrifice that, because that's the kind of sacrifice that's pleasing to God. Well, we don't understand the backdrop to that story, but we do know this. The Cain was angry, and his face was, you could see the anger in his face. Uh, think about somebody you're very close to, or maybe when you're growing up with your mom or dad, or maybe somebody at work, right? Can you tell when somebody that you're very close to gets mad? Raise your hand up in the air. Yes, I can right? They kind of get that scowl. Uh, I don't know how you are when you get mad. When I get mad, I get quiet. I'm not a big yeller. I don't, you know, start beating on things and get angry and things like that. I get very, very quiet. Uh, we were in the car the other day. Kim and I took a little mini trip this week, and while we were driving, something frustrated me, and it wasn't her at all. I just got a little ticked, and Kim said, uh-oh, what did I do? I said, you didn't do nothing. I'm fine. I'm just being quiet for a minute. And she says, yeah, but when you're quiet, something's going on. What's going on? I don't really want to talk about it right now. I'm just, just give me a second to kind of stew in it, and I'm going to be okay. She goes, I know you're mad. I said, well, I'm kind of getting mad. No, but I really wasn't getting mad at her about anything. But we all kind of have this, when we get angry, you can kind of tell, right? There's something on your face, and the Lord saw it not only in Cain's face, but he saw it on his heart. And then God said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you, but if you do not what is right, sin is knocking at your door. It desires to have you. And I, I circled that in my Bible and I put a little note on there. Not, at the, not only does sin desire to have you, sin desires to consume you. It desires to consume you. And we all know what that, we all understand what that means. But you must have rule over it. Now Cain later said to his brother Abel, hey, Bo, let's go out to the field. And when they went out to the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? 
It's an extreme relationship thing. We'll talk about that in a second. And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Um, we don't really know the kind of parents that maybe any were or weren't. But we know that God was part of that family. And we know that Adam and Eve messed up, just like you and I messed up as well. And Cain did something that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. He killed his brother out of jealousy. And isn't it interesting that the second sin mentioned in the Bible was murder? On top of that, when we do that today, it kind of sounds like a lot of stuff we hear on Nightline or 2020 or different news programs where a father uh, murdered his wife or this happened or that happened, and it started from jealousy. Jealousy is not, I'm not going to talk about jealousy today. But jealousy is one of those things, like we read about earlier, it's a sin that can consume you, right? But we read in 1 John chapter 3, very interestingly, we're supposed to love one another, love one another, love one another. That's the extreme, that's the extreme right thing to do, even though I'm pointing to my left side. And then the opposite of that is don't be pain. So you have this big chasm, right, of these two extremes we're either going to love one another and don't be like Cain and hate, be jealous of, and kill your brother. So I want to kind of dive into these relationship extremes for a minute. And I just I want to skim over them because I really want to get to this application piece. I think it's very relevant and important for all of us today. Uh, we see that the one extreme, relationships go from one extreme to the other. We see that murder is, is murder, right? It's pretty black and white kind of a sin. It's probably the most extreme sin that we would all recognize this morning. We as human beings kind of have this sin, right? I had a friend ask me this week who knew I was kind of doing, a friend in our church who knew I was doing this passage of scripture this week, and he asked me this question, why didn't God kill Cain for killing his brother? Because in the book of Exodus, he said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, if somebody commits murder, you, you know, that person needs to be put to death. And it can bring up the whole discussion, if you will, on capital punishment, which we won't do right now this morning, okay? But it, it helps us to understand this, this attribute or nature of God, and we don't really understand it because we look at sin like on scales, right? If somebody lies, you know, to, to their husband or wife because they don't want to hurt their feelings, that's not that big of a deal. Or if we get jealous, you know, that's just human nature and things like that happen. But at least I didn't murder, right? And we'll compare ourselves to these extreme things that we see here. And the Bible talks about the sin in 1 John chapter 3. It says, for this message you heard from the beginning, we ought to love one another. Don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one. He became consumed by, by the evil one, listened to the evil one, was was tricked by the evil one, he murdered his brother. Why did he murder his brother? Because his actions were evil and his brothers were good. He was jealous of him. Another relationship extreme that we see, uh, the second one is hatred, right? Hatred's not as bad as murder, maybe, maybe. But in 1 John 3, he says, for this is the message you heard from, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, verse 13, don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. That's interesting, isn't it? We know that we pass from death to life because we love one another. Anybody who does not love remains in death. Anybody who hates his brother or sister, going back to number one here, is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has an eternal life residing in him. 
Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about this in regards to hatred. I tell you, anybody that is, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anybody who says to his brother or sister, I hate you, or raka, which is what that means, is answerable to court. And anybody who says you're a fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Hatred. We think of hatred as, we, you know, there's some things that we hate. You know, we think of righteous hatred, right? Things that we're supposed to hate. You know, well, I hate this and I hate this. I mean, I, you know, do, you, we probably have said it and haven't thought about it, but have you ever heard a child say, well, I hate that? It just kind of goes, whoa, man, why did they say that? Maybe they heard that from us, perhaps, right? But this idea of hatred and compares it to and makes it equivalent to murder. He said, if you hate your brother or sister, you've murdered them in your heart, and that's what you're guilty of. He says that in Matthew chapter 5. And these are two very extreme things. You know, we ought not to hate people. You, you probably have somebody in your life that's hurt you really, really bad, and the mention of your name, it's like Lion King, Mufasa, <laughs> right? You kind of you, you get that feeling in your heart for this person that's wronged you or betrayed you or hurt you. Let me ask you a question. How many of you your life that's hurt you or betrayed you like that? Raise your hand up in the air. All of us have, you know. And when you're confronted with the idea of a conversation with that person, that's a hard thing to do. Um, we've talked to a lot of people that come in with, you know, Pastor, I've got this thing and this person in my life and they've hurt me and they hurt me and they hurt me and they hurt me. And I said to them, wow, you're letting what they've done to you put hatred in your heart and you need to make that right with God and with them. And they're like, what are you talking about? They screwed me over. What, well, how am I responsible for this, right? Well, if we have hatred in our heart, Jesus says we're not supposed to have that. And I know murder and hatred are pretty black and white, right? They're pretty, we understand why murder's bad, we get that. We understand even why hatred, even though we have to be careful that we don't treat people that way. But then he goes on, to this, this next idea, and I think, that, I think that all of us deal with this, and I don't even think all of us fully understand it. You see murder extreme, we see hatred extreme, then you kind of have this gray area of indifference. Indifference. Uh, for chapter 3, verse 18, dear, dear children, let us love one another. Let us not love with words or speech, but in actions or in truth. God gave us a great example of that in Romans chapter 5. He says that God demonstrated his love for us. He demonstrated. Even though we were sinners, right, the farthest away from him we could possibly be, the Bible says Christ died for us. So we understand in John 3, 16, the Bible tells us that God loved the world, right? God loved the world so much that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And the Bible says he demonstrated his love for us in so much that even though we didn't deserve help, we didn't deserve a bailout plan. We didn't deserve forgiveness. God provided that way that you and I could be forgiven by letting his son, Jesus Christ, die for every sin that I committed and every sin. He demonstrated that. And here's what he's saying to us. Follow my example, right? He says that in Philippians chapter 2. Let this lifestyle be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And he says this to us today uh, in these verses. Don't just love with your words or speech. There's a really, I, I'm, I, uh, I, I've been watching some reruns of the King of Queens. Anybody ever see the King of Queens show? Kind of comes on, to Marianne and I talk about it sometimes. 
uh, very relative to my life. A lot of things that happen in the King of Queens. And there's an episode where they get on the phone at the beginning of the show, and, and um, what's his name again? Doug. Doug Heffernan uh, says, they're talking on the phone, da, 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 and he says, okay, I love you, bye, and he hangs up. Then he calls her up again. He says, hey, do we need to say I love you every time that we hang up the phone from one another? I mean, we know we love each other, so do, do we really have to say I love you to end a conversation? She says, you know what? That's right. When we say I love you, it ought to be special, so let's keep it for something that's unique and special about our relationship. He goes, okay, that's a really good idea. Have a good day. Love you. Bye. And he says it again, right? Sometimes we say I love you, and, and, and there's times we have those tender moments, you know, and when life is just great, and you take your wife, your husband by your hand, you grab your kids, you give them a little smoochy. All my grandkids came in the office today, and they were hugging on pop, and it was really sweet, and they said, I love you. And I said, I love you guys, and they probably don't really understand what it means except for they got a donut and some fruit snacks out of it, so it worked out really good for them, right? But I think sometimes we say, I love you, without the demonstration of it. Is that fair to say? We say it. Love you. I say it a lot. I say I love you to people. I love our church. I do love you this morning. And I, if I ever say that in a way that comes across insincere, I apologize to you for that. Because I don't say that just to say it. It's kind of like a tag ending to my goodbye. We love you. We're praying for you. We're praying for everybody that's watching online today. We're praying for different families in our church going through things. We really do love you. But boy, isn't it a big difference to say I love you or demonstrate I love you? Way, way, way Indifference. What causes us to experience, feel indifference? Indifference is kind of like what God was talking about, a, 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 a believer in him that is kind of lukewarm. What's he say about lukewarm people? They're not hot or cold. They're lukewarm. They're kind of bleh, and he spews them out of his mouth. That's what the Bible says about how God feels about indifference. And I think we can become indifferent in our Christianity we, sometimes as Christians, we kind of have this idea that, you know what, I, I know my place, husband, a good wife, a good steward, I need to be a good member of the community, but it's really somebody else's responsibility to do that in the church, and ah, the church isn't that big of a deal, I, you know, I'm doing kind of get in, in a little bit of indifference in our service to the Lord, we get indifference uh, feelings with our neighbors, right? We get indifference with people that we work with. We kind of have indifference with things that we, you know, honestly, church, that we really don't want to confront or deal with. And I think indifference, as much as an extreme that hatred and murder is, easy to see, easy to spot, black and white kind of a dif- difficult thing to work through and know that it's really, really harsh, I think indifference is dangerous, I think a difference could cause us to kind of drift a little bit, you know, where, yeah, I go to church, you know, it's all good. I'm nice to people when, I, when, I have, when the opportunity avails itself. I'm not really a bad person. You know, I got my neighbor's mail the other day. When I was cutting my grass, I did this much over the line instead of right on the line, right? We, we kind of justify the ways that we're nice to people. But I know and you know that God speaks to our heart through, the, through his Holy Spirit who lives inside of us because we're the temple of God if we're believers. And there's times that God's told you to do things that you were like, I'm gonna ask you something. You don't have to answer me out loud. Have you ever found yourself negotiating with God when he's told you to do something? You can do that. 
that's not really my gig, Lord. You know, I don't want to do that. I don't, I'm not gifted for that. We, and we're really good. We agree that the job needs to get done, but we're like, we, we, we go, you know, we're kind of like Gideon. I'm too small. I'm from the smallest crew. I'm from the smallest tribe. My family's kind of, you know, we're really not warriors. We're kind of these kind of people and this and that. You really need to call, Lord, I get it. I know that job needs to be done, but me do that? Me take care of that? Lord, you're, he's talking about giving money about something, Lord, and you want me to do There's other rich people that can take care of that stuff, right? I'm only using those things as examples because I think we're really good negotiators with God, but the thing is, God's not wanting to negotiate with you. Here's what God wants. He wants you to obey him so he can bless you. But we get indifferent. Uh, I get it, but maybe, and huh, I don't know, we'll see. And we kind of drag ourselves through that sea of, 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 of indifference when we're kind of, kind of, and the Bible describes it this way too, we're kind of tossed by the winds, going back and forth, not really sure about who we are or commitment level, and man, indifference can be very dangerous. The last thing that the author talks about here in 1 John is authentic Christian love. Authentic Christian love. Now here's why he uses Cain in this example. It's an extreme. He was a murderer. Don't murder. Hey, if I were to say to church, if you agree that we shouldn't murder, say amen. Everybody's going to go, amen, we shouldn't murder. But if I ask you if you're indifferent sometimes, I think all of us, we would probably even be indifferent in our answer. Yeah, maybe I'm sometimes, right? In our response. But you know what authentic Christian love demands from us? That we are our brother's keepers. And that goes back to what Cain said. And you've heard that said. I even think, five in the very, very beginning, this is the record. I'm writing these things to you that, 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 that believe in the name of Jesus Christ so that you will know that you have eternal life. This whole book is about assurance of the relationship. And you know what the author's telling us again here in 1 John chapter 3? When we practice Christ-like love, we experience different blessings. You know what that first blessing is? Assurance of our salvation. Great passage in the book of James where it says, the trying of your faith and the testing of your faith, uh, it, 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 it can have a lot of value in your life because here's what it does. God tests you and he tries you. He tests us to see if we'll be faithful. I'm really glad I never had to go through a test like Abraham did with his son Isaac. Waited all the and then God says, good, he's here. Take him up to the mountain and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Then I'll know you're really obedient. You know what the Bible says about Abraham? He believed that God, it says it's the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 11. He believed God was going to resurrect his son from the dead. And nobody had ever been resurrected in history known at this point. But Abraham believed that and it was counted unto him for righteousness, the Bible says. When we practice Christ-like love, we experience the blessing of the assurance of our relationship in him. In verse 19 it says, and this is great, if you're Bible circler or a highlighter or an underliner, this is right out of the gate. It says in verse number 19, this is how we know that we belong to the truth. This is how we know. He wants you to know. Hey, listen, this idea of a difference in relationships that we have for one another, God doesn't want you to be indifferent in your relationship with him. Well, I think I'm saved. I've been pretty good. I've tried. You know, I've, I've, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, and I've done this. And you need to be careful of that because Jesus said in the Gospels, this person came up to him and said, God, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. And he said, hey, listen, man, depart from the of iniquity. I never even knew you. 
you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. If you do know him as your Savior, that means you've asked him to forgive you and invited Jesus Christ to be your Savior of your life. You put your faith and trust on his sacrifice so that you and I can have forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God. And then John says, because of that, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts. You ready for this, church? This is huge at rest. Your heart's This week, our daughter, Kelsey, uh, had a difficult week. Last week, she lost a baby, and she went to the doctors twice to get some stuff done and get it taken care of. And we were out of town when this happened. Kim and I were out of town. Kelsey says, just like a daughter would say to their parents, I'm fine, don't come home, don't worry about us, we're good. The doctor, the this, the this, the this. And Kelsey has two other kids, too. And I said, Kelsey, we're not going to ever stop worrying and you understand that because you're a parent. Oh, we don't need to worry about Kelsey. She said she's fine. No, it's not, that's not even possible. She's, she's one of my babies. You know, I remember the day that Kelsey was born. It was kind of funny because the doctor, when she removed Kelsey from the place where she had spent the last nine months, she had this big tuft of hair that's that straight. She looked like one of those little dolls that you could do this too, and their hair just does this. I mean, she had the most hair of any baby I ever saw in my life. The most beautiful blue eyes. And the doctor, when she was pulling Kelsey out, she said, I think it's a book. No, it's a girl. And she kind of told us that Kelsey was a boy, even though we kind of knew she was a girl. But she, I think it's a book. Oh, that's the umbilical cord. It's a girl. I'm like, really, dude? I have two daughters already. You're killing me, Smalls. You know, I was kind of mad at the doctor a little bit. And I just remember Kelsey growing up. One thing that Kelsey always said to me, uh, when people would come over, hi, I want you to come to say hi to your dad. She would go, no, that's my daddy. And all the young people in my youth group and college class would come up to me and they would nestle up to me and say, hey, Kelsey, this is my daddy. She would get offended. No, it's my daddy. And she would run up and she knew I would catch her and I would pull her in and hug her because that was my girl. One of my four beautiful, beautiful girls. You know, when we felt better after, after all that Kelsey went through and we, we were able to come home a day early. We couldn't get home two days early. The, the, the flight wouldn't allow us to do that. She told us she was okay. Evan told us she was okay. We got home, and I saw her, and I hugged her, and I saw that she was okay. And church, my heart was at rest. And I'm not exclusive in going through trials. Please, I'm not trying to elevate what happened in, in my life or our family's life this week. But I think all of us can relate to this understanding of your heart being at rest. And here's what God wants us to know through this passage of Scripture. You don't need to worry if I'm going to change my mind about you. You don't need to worry if I'm going to turn my back on you. You don't need to worry that if I, you ask me forgiveness, if I'm going to forgive you. Your heart needs to be at rest and secure in this relationship. And you know why some of us struggle with the idea of assurance of this relationship with God? Because frankly, we don't demonstrate it really well with one another. Not all the time. When we practice Christ-like love, we experience assurance. We experience, and I was talking about this on our where, about when I was regarding to our Warehouse Church prayer page this morning, we experience prayer. He says in verse 21, Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God that we can receive anything from him that we ask because we keep his commands 
and do what pleases him. Can I tell you something this morning? God doesn't want to withhold any good thing from you. But here's what happens. There, we we, we kind of get in this little world of wants and needs, right? What are our needs? What are our wants? I want this, but what do I really need, right? And it's a conversation that all of you that are parents today have had with your kids. Well, I know that you, you say that you need that and this, this. You want that, and there's a big difference between wants and needs, and I've had those conversations with my girls growing up, you know, regards to vehicles they're driving and shoes we would buy and places we would go. Is that really something you need or is that? And there's nothing wrong if, if you understand there's a difference between your wants and your needs. There's things that I want that I know I'm not going to be able to do, but there is a big difference between things that I want and things that I need. Would you agree with that? All right, so all of us have that, right? But God says this. Listen, we have confidence before God that we can receive from anything what we ask. Here's the question. What are you asking for? You know, we kind of look at like God like Santa Claus sometimes. I've got to give him my list. He's going to check it twice. I'm going to find out who's naughty and nice, right? That's how we kind of pray to God sometimes. God, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. A couple weeks ago, I did a Bible reading thing on Thanksgiving, and every day it talks about before you do anything, before you ask, before you do anything, where you're giving God your burdens, thank him. Thank him for who he is in your life. Thank him for the gifts and the blessings of your past. Thank him for your present blessings. Thank you for the future blessings that you're not even aware of, right? God, listen, you parents, you don't want to withhold any good thing from your kids. You want to bless them. But sometimes as parents, we know what our kids need more than they know what they need. And what do we do? We do the best we can to supply those needs for our kids. And the Bible says, how much more does your father in heaven love? He wants to bless you. But it is, as a mature man, to know, are we, are we praying for like, you know, we were in Nebraska, no, North, North Dakota, drove everywhere last week. <clears throat> My wife said, we ought to buy a Powerball ticket in North Dakota. Because it just seems like when you hear about somebody winning Powerball, they're from North Dakota, not Plano, Texas. I said, honey, just cut me in if you win. You know what I'm saying? Just gonna give me, and then, and then and I was thinking about that. She said, well, I think if we did and we prayed, God, I said, I don't know if that's really a trust thing. That may be, and I'm, you know, all week long I'm studying this. I'm th- and I, I said to her, I think that's more of a want than a need. And she said, can you save it for them on Sunday? You don't need to be preaching to me in the car, you know. But I think all of us kind of go through that, don't we? Here's the last one here we'll talk about today. When we practice Christ-like love, our third blessing is this. Abide where we dwell in him. Go back to that passage about Cain for a second. He was influenced by. He was, he, he was tricked by. You know what he was doing? He was abiding in and dwelling in the deceiver. He let the deceiver make him believe that his brother screwed him over and needed to die for it. Murder wasn't even something. He couldn't. He couldn't say, well, I saw it happen on TV, and that's, no, it, it never even happened. It was the first murder in history. But he got jealous, and he let his emotions overcome him because he was deceived. He was, he was dwelling or living somewhere that he shouldn't have been, and he let that deceiver get the most of him. I love this verse in the book of Proverbs that says, we live where we dwell. If your home is in your marriage and your relationships are that of peace, guess what your home resembles peacefulness 
You ever go into somebody's home, they're yelling and screaming and man, it's just, and, and you walk out of there and you're kind, it, it, it affects you. You know, you walk out of there and you go, I think I need a Xanax or something, man. I'm like all wired up right now from all that, that drama that was in that home. And you know what it does? It affects you, right? So, so what, how is it in your home this morning? Is it, a, is it a place of peace? Is it a place of comfort? Listen to what it says about abiding or dwelling in God. Verse number 22, he says, and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is the command, to believe in the name of the Son of God. Jesus Christ, he says, love one another, just like he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives or dwells in him and he in them. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know because the spirit that he gave us, God's Holy Spirit lives in you. When you feel bad about something you did wrong, it's not because you're not saved anymore. It's because the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, knucklehead, make it right before God. He wants to forgive you. He wants to bless you. He has better things than what you're settling for right now. Don't we settle for far less than what God wants for us sometimes? God has greater things for all of us, influence and, and blessings for our lives and blessings for our family all throughout the Word of God are recorded. And that's not a prosperity gospel kind of message, church. God loves you and He does want to bless you. His word tells us that, but you know what he wants us, you know what precedes blessing? Obedience. Obedience. When we're not, the Holy Spirit convicts us and we make it right with him. And when we are, he blesses and blesses and blesses and blesses. And when we're great for children, what do we do? Thank you, Lord. When we're selfish children, we do what? I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more. So we read through this in John chapter 3 today. Extremes of relationships. And I want to ask you a question. Pretty sure we don't have anybody in our church service that's a murderer this morning. If you are, we have 25 people with guns to take a chill pill, okay? But are you carrying any hatred in your heart today? Or some hurt that somebody inflicted on you that you didn't even ask for? Are, are you suffering from indifference? Just kind of yeah, I'll be faithful today. I'm not going to be faithful now. Yeah, I'm going to give faithfully now. Yeah, I'm not going to give faithfully now. It just all depends on the room temperatures, where I'm going to go. I, and I, I, think, I think that there's a term for that in the secular world called situational ethics, but we apply that spiritually. Maybe it's spiritual ethics. I'm going to obey God and do good when he's blessing me. When he's not blessing me, I'm going to hold it back. I'm not talking about giving. I'm talking about giving your life. Life. Or are you authentically loving one another? Let me encourage you this morning. Probably not all of us love everybody the way that we ought to. So you look at somebody and go, he's not just talking to me, okay? I, I, I get that. We don't all love everyone the way that we're supposed to all the time. But you know what the Bible tells us? We can. We can. When we understand how much God loves us, what he gave for us, and how patient he is with us. It makes it a little easier to love some unlovable people. Isn't it something that God puts a lot of HTL people in our lives hard to love? All of us have them. You know, if I say, who's hard to love in your life? You could probably go pew, 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 name them off just like that. Maybe God's speaking to your heart about the way that you are towards that family member, that person you work with, or that neighbor of yours. But we know this this morning. God loves us. He wants to work in our lives, and he wants you to be sure of that relationship that he has with you.
Let's be thankful for that this morning. Amen, church? Let's pray. Today, Father, we thank you for your word. Um, countless First John, you tell us to love one another. And I love that verse. I think it's in chapter 4 where you say, Marvel not that I tell you that you're supposed to love one another. It's like we, and, and the thing is, you repeat it and say it so much because every single one of us, starting with this guy right here, need to hear it all of the time. It's super easy for me, Lord, and I'll say this in a confession uh, prayer before my friends this morning. It's super easy for me to love everybody in our church on Sunday morning. That's an easy day for the love fest. It's tough on Monday morning sometimes. It's tough on Wednesday when when the week is just kind of cresting and, and burdens are getting tough. It's tough for me to feel love when I'm watching political junk on TV. Or it's tough for me to feel love when somebody's mean. It's tough for me to demonstrate love when, when I'm challenged by that, Lord. You didn't tell us just to love who was easy. You told us to love everybody. And that the way that we love people is an evidence or shows other people that need Christ, that our relationship with you is sincere. So help us to grab onto that this week. Lord, if there's somebody in our life that we need to love, it's hard to love, Lord. Give us the grace. Forgive us, Lord. Help us spend time with you asking for forgiveness. Open doors up, Lord. And, and Lord, listen, I, we know that when people hurt us, uh, forgiving and loving them doesn't mean full restoration of, uh, of, uh, of relationship privilege. But maybe that burden that we're carrying of forgiveness and of hatred will do us a lot more by letting that stuff go than even that person who needs to be forgiven. Lord, you know our hearts. Speak to us in a personal way and help us today to be more like you. We ask this in Jesus' name and everybody in agreement said, amen. Hey, thank you for being with us today. I'm gonna have our ushers come up. John, do you have anything you're gonna say at the end of the service today? We have an announcement video. Uh, when you walk out today, do an about face and look at this back wall in the auditorium or in the, in the hallway. In the chairs in front of you, there's an envelope. And if you will grab one of these envelopes today, we would certainly appreciate that. We want to try to raise in the next six to eight weeks about $8,000 above our normal giving uh, because we want to put a big coffee and a welcome center right out in the middle of our lobby. We built our lobby to house this welcome center. But we, only, we didn't build our welcome center because we want to pay cash for it. We don't want to put it on credit. We want all of us to be a part of that and pay for that. And we're going to pay for it as it comes in. And we have somebody that's going to help us build it. That's a master builder. One of my heroes of the whole world is going to help us build that. And we're going to ask some of you uh, folks that are gifted in that way to come out a couple of times to help us put this thing together. But we need to raise about $8,000 to do that, to run electricity to it, put our coffee machines. And when everybody walks outside uh, of the building after church service, there's going to be information about our church when we're allowed to start handing stuff out again and opportunities for people to get connected. It's just gonna be a part of our worship experience on Sunday. We wanna raise about $8,000 to do that. You can do that by, by putting it in here. This week, put it in the honor boxes. You can give online uh, after you do your tithes and your regular gifts that you do for the church uh, to the Lord. Uh, you, there's, a, there's a category in your online giving that says Welcome Center Project or something like that. And you'll see that on there, and you can be a part of that. But just pray about that. If God would lead you to do something, do it. But you can, everybody can pray for it. Amen? And I know it's going to be a blessing as we minister to people in our community. Uh, look a lot better than some of the other things that we kind of brought along with us when we were a mobile church. So uh, thanks for praying for and considering that.
being dismissed in just a moment.